Good morning, everyone. We're in Matthew chapter 8, continuing our series today. I am uh, just really moved and stirred right now in my heart after having spent the morning. Um, Gosh, I love it when the Lord just takes you on a journey through where he wants you to be. From the Revelation class this morning to our time of prayer in our pre-gathering prayer meeting to the songs that were sung, I am like, whoa, I just, I don't know how to describe it, but I'm on the verge of either weeping or jumping for joy simultaneously. Um, But let me try to articulate it. As we were singing that very last song, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, I was struck by the words that we sang, and I love the fact that it was coming from a personal perspective at that moment, me unto him. You unto him. And let me just say this this morning. The, the theme of God's sovereignty over all things, all things, has been highlighted for the last number of hours as we've been in this building this morning. And as I stood there and I sang that song, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, I was struck by the different verses and the themes that were there in the different verses of, of the statement of God's sovereignty. And I want to say to you this morning, You might be in a place of crying out for the Lord in his sovereignty to show that to you, to show himself to be strong and sovereign. Some of you, the first verse saying about being a treasure, some of you today need to understand the Lord as your treasure in his sovereignty. The others talked about him being a redeemer. Some of you this morning need to know the Lord as your rock in redemption and his sovereignty in redemption for your life. And I can't remember the other one right now, but it was beautiful as well. But it was just a third aspect. Well, let me find it. I looked it up. And me out of everybody should be healer. Me out of everyone should remember the words to these verses, right, that I sing. My sword to fight the cruel deceiver. My shield, my song, my hope, my joy. That's the second verse. The Lord this morning, for some of you, you need to know him as your shield as your sovereign shield, as your sovereign defender, as your sovereign hope. And so I just felt I wanted to start there this morning and to continue. Um, I almost decided not to do the announcements because I wanted to just continue in the movement that the Lord was having. But here we are, Matthew chapter 8. And I'll say to you, my aim today is that we would leave here um, not only having been reminded, but filled, church, filled with a hope, filled with just a sense of overflowing of confidence in the power, in the supremacy, and in the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be reminded, but it's another thing to be filled and compelled by it. And I really believe that that's what the Lord is doing in us this morning, that he's compelling us by just a deep, deep deepening of who he is for us. So let's look at Matthew verses. 23, Matthew 8, verses 23, and I'm going to read through chapter 9, verse 8. And I'm picking a larger portion of text this morning um, because I feel as though it's going to play right into what the Lord is doing to us and for us. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, this is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he got into the boat... His disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, 
but he was asleep. Of course, we're speaking of Jesus, Matthew's writing of Jesus. And they went and they woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of Gadranese, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment, torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out, and they went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Chapter 9, verse 1, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic, lying on a bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Lord, this morning we are incredibly privileged to open your word to read and to receive, Lord, to meditate upon truth, to worship at your feet, and to hear from your spirit, Lord God. We ask today, Lord, that you would free our hearts, free our minds, Lord God, from wrong thinking. Free us, Lord, to walk in the newness of life that you have for us, in this new creation life, we pray. Allow these words now, Lord, to sink deep, 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 deep into our hearts, Lord. Change us, Father, for the sake of your glory and in your awesome and powerful name. Amen. So, as has become customary in the beginning here, I'd like to just take a moment and remind us all of the larger view that we have before us. Um, the lens by which some of you might hear of like a 30,000 foot view um, that we've been taking through Matthew. Um, and I just want to remind us again that the, the aim that Matthew has had from the very beginning, from the onset of his recording of the life of Jesus, is to show Jesus as the fulfilled coming king, the fulfillment of the prophecies to the people of Israel, to the Jews, of a king that would one day come and rule. And that's Matthew's emphasis, is to reveal Jesus as the fulfillment of that prophecy, as the king. And as we've been talking about, a king has a kingdom, and a king has a people. 
And a king has laws and precepts, does he not? And he's got a presence within his kingdom by which he brings and calls others into. So we've been talking about a king who has a rule, a realm, and also regents, those who are ambassadors, those who have been commissioned to carry out the will and the desire and the authority of the king to the surrounding kingdoms. And as I've said and we've looked at quite great length, this king's kingdom is not like any other kingdom on the earth. The kingdom that has been established by Jesus Christ is unlike any other earthly kingdom. It's otherworldly. It has no boundaries. It doesn't have any limitations. And we're going to look at the nature of why that is true. This kingdom that was ushered in and established by Jesus as an, is an eternal kingdom. It's one which Daniel would prophesy would never pass away, nor would it be destroyed. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, Daniel says this, And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel chapter 7. So this kingdom, again, it's unlike any other kingdom that's been seen on earth and anyone that would come after it as well. What a beautiful description, isn't this, of this kingdom that we've been brought into as believers. I love just the language that Daniel gives of this supremacy and this picture of the father handing over to the son the keys to the kingdom. One that will never be eroded, one that no earthly hand could corrupt, thwart, hinder, or stop. The ancient of days. And he was given a kingdom that is everlasting. And as we've been saying, probably ad nauseum, and we're only at eight chapters into it, we've got 20 more, so I'll probably say it maybe 20 more times, is that this kingdom has a culture. There's a, a distinctiveness to this kingdom. The ways in which the kingdom operates, the ways in which the people within this kingdom look and live, and the desires, etc., etc., etc. That's what we've been looking at, and that's what we were continuing to understand there's a, a present-day writer that I have enjoyed over the years, and he speaks often um, of, a, of a nation being defined as language, border, and culture. Those th three things needing to be present in order for a nation to be truly a nation. There's specificity to the rule and the ways of the kingdom of God and his people. Is there not? Specificity, understanding, us to understand what it is to be a person within the kingdom. God called Israel out of exile from Egypt, out of captivity in Egypt, to be his unique people, to be his specific, distinct people, to be a people that reflected who he is, who he was. We're just a continuation of that story, a people having been brought out of exile, now living in Babylon, Called to be unique, called to be distinct. 
But let me say this, a king without a rule or a realm isn't truly a king. He's truly a king if he holds dominion and if he holds authority over such a people in such a place. That's what makes a king a king. And as I was thinking about this as well, when my wife and I, when we leave for the night and we decide to leave our children at home, as much as my six-year-old would love to assert his dominance, would love to say that he's the one that's in charge, that he's the one that has authority, the fact of the matter is, is nobody believes that he does. No one sees him as having such an authority. But when we leave, we say to the rest of the children, okay, so-and-so is in charge. What's happening in that moment? What we're doing is we're giving our authority over our mini-kingdom at that moment and to the individual who's now become our regent to our little mini-kingdom. And we're saying to them, you have authority. And we're saying to the rest of them, they have authority. Now, listen to what they say. Do what they've been told to do. Behave in such a way that reflects your obedience of, unto our authority, which we have given to this person. You see, there's, you see what I'm getting at here this morning. And much to his chagrin, he's never in charge. <laughs> Although I have threatened a few times just to leave him in charge just for the fun of it. And here's the thing. Uh, listen to this, though. But this is the other thing, and, and to my, furthers my point. If I were to say to them, okay, Judah's in charge for the next hour, they wouldn't like it, but they would do it. Why? Because I'm the one that has authority. I'm the king of my kingdom. And I've said, this is the one that's in charge. The, so the, the, the significance of the passing of authority to one is of great matter and of great concern. So here in these verses in Matthew, we're seeing Jesus walk out this very same thing. We're seeing him exercise his authority and kingly dominion over the things of the earth as the one, as we looked at in Daniel, who has been given the power to do so. This is what these verses of chapter 8 and chapter 9 are showing us. Some of the other Gospels include um, more embellishments and more details in regards to these interactions. Um, you know, we're, Matthew leaves out the fact that the, that the roof was opened and the paralytic was, was lowered down. Matthew leaves out the fact that in the storm that Jesus seems to be sleeping all comfy on a pillow like some of the other Gospels might, might portray to us. Why? Matthew's not interested in those embellishments. He's interested in one thing. He wants to portray to us the dominion and the authority that Jesus Christ has here on earth. And so he leaves out the frill and the fluff. So if you want to read them, you can go to some of the other Gospels in Mark and Luke, and you can get some of those things. But with these three instances, Matthew's determined to throw down the proverbial gauntlet on Satan. Jesus is saying, listen here, who's got dominion? Who's got authority? Who's got the power? I'm the one that has it. And he's making that known. With these three instances here, what he gives to us is more importantly, not just three um, different examples, but actually three aspects within the created world which now indicate the breadth and the reach of which his eternal kingdom, through his rule, now has the authority and dominion over and so I'm going to give you these three aspects and show them and we'll consider them together in further detail. Let's see if I can get there. So the first one is this. Jesus has the authority over the created natural world. 
That's seen in verses 23 through 27. The second is that Jesus has authority over the demonic or spiritual realm. And the third is that Jesus has authority over the souls of men and women for the sake of salvation. What else is left outside of these three areas? There's nothing. This is the point, that now Jesus Christ has the authority, and we're going to look at where that authority comes from, to be exercised over all of the created world, all of the spiritual realm, and ultimately, of course, over the hearts and men for the sake of salvation. This is an absolutely massive and incredible statement. As I said, there's nothing else that's left. Jesus' claim on authority over all, listen to this, his claim on authority through the workings of these three miracles, the storm, the demon-possessed men, and the restoration of the paralytic. The purpose of this, it was a call to all of those who would see and hear that the kingdom of God has come to leave their gods behind, to leave their religions behind, their kingdoms behind, and to follow him, the one that has authority over all things. It was a call. And I was thinking too, like a, like a signet on a ring that a king would have, right? That was his seal in those old movies like Robin Hood or whatever it was, and they pour the candle wax, and then he takes his signet and he stamps it. Miracles were the signet on the king's ring. This is how he proved, this is my realm. This is my authority. This is my dominion. See the working of my might through these miracles. So rather than drilling down today into each one of these stories, I want to use them, as I said, to give like the 30,000 foot view. And I want to look more specifically at the source, three aspects of the nature of the authority that Jesus has. And in so doing, as I said in the beginning, I'm hoping that we're filled with just this sense, not only awe and wonder, but a compulsion to live our lives in such a way that, guys, we live not only under the authority of the king and within the dominion and the rulership of Lord Jesus Christ, but we live also as those that have been empowered and sent by the king to accomplish his work in this day and age. So there's three just different aspects of the nature of the authority. The first is the source. What is the source of the authority of Jesus Christ? The second is the purpose. What was the purpose or what is the purpose of Christ's authority? And the third is what is the extent that his authority reaches to? The most clear example of this, turn with me, we know the text very well, but there's something about using our fingers to turn the pages in our Bible of muscle memory. So turn to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to look at this together because there is a, a clear example of this threefold prescription of both source, purpose, and extent that's given to us in the very book that we are currently studying. And we'll get to this chapter as we close this whole thing, and it's in Matthew chapter 28. And we know the text so incredibly well. It's one of the most significant and oft-quoted statements on Jesus' authority. Matthew chapter 28 Verse 18, and I want you just again to listen to this really, really well-worn text 
through this lens, source, purpose, and extent. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority, he says, the extent of his authority right there, all. Not some, not partial, all. Three letters, and he paints the most broadest brush that hits every aspect of the natural world. All authority. The extent of his authority is all. And then he says, has been given to me. There's the source. So he's been given the authority. For what purpose? To go therefore. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. Source, purpose, and extent. So what is the source of Jesus' authority? We could probably answer this, but I want to look at it. Let's look and see what Scripture has to say. Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 11, just a few back, verses 27. I've got a number of Scripture today. We'll look at some, but we won't look at all, just for the sake of time. But as we begin, I want to just allow this to um, massage into our hearts. Let the Lord work in us as we read his word. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Actually, let's back up to verse 25 just to get on the runway here. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to your little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Look at a couple of Gospels forward to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 35. John 3, 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. There it is again. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And go forward 10 chapters to John 10, excuse me, to John 13. Verse 3, John 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he goes on and on and he washes the disciples' feet. And one last scripture, turn with me please to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, just following Galatians The source, we're considering what is the source of Jesus' authority. Galatians, sorry, Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go back to, we've got to get on Paul's runway again here. That's a long one. Ephesians 1, let's start in verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ 
The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. And this is the key, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The source of Jesus' authority was God the Father himself. And we know that, and that was obvious, and you probably could have told me that. But there's something about looking at Scripture and allowing the Lord by his Spirit because this necessitates a revelation of the Lord. We can meditate and we can contemplate scripture and the truthfulness of it, but unless the Lord reveals these things to our hearts, it's only head knowledge. We're asking that the Lord would connect our heads with our hearts. Jesus, the Son, was given by the Father all authority in all matters over all things. He was given the authority in all matters over all things. And having accomplished his plan of redemption, as Paul tells us, he was exalted as Jesus, both truly God and truly man, to sit at the right hand of the Father where he now rules over all matters of the world, all matters of the church, all matters of mankind. The Lord Jesus sits today at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning with all authority. See, I think to understand it like this, to understand this flow, if you will, is to appropriate for ourselves the source for which we seek direction on a daily basis, the source for which we receive power for matters of our lives, to understand where Jesus is today, not just off in some nondescript, cloudy, heavenly place that we can't wrap our minds around, but to understand Paul's emphasis here that he's been elevated to a place of prominence and preeminence, not just for the sake of power tripping, but because this was the plan of God, that the Son would be glorified and that the Son would rule, and in so doing, that he would bring others under and into his rule as well. This is our source. This is who we derive our sense of ability from. Let me say this as well. There's no blog, there's no video blog, there's no podcast, there's no book, there's no preacher, there's no person, no mentor that ought to take the place of such an authority in our life as the Lord Jesus Christ. Our call is to be those who are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus in all aspects of our life. Because if he is Lord over all, as Paul tells us in Ephesians, then that's our lives too. Every nook, every cranny, every inkling, every desire are all subjected to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. By his grace, I know that we can walk this out. The second is, what was the purpose? What was the purpose of the authority given to Jesus Christ? Let's look at, back to John. We won't look at as many but again, we're just going to turn back to the Gospel of John. And go to chapter 17 this time. 
John chapter 17, one of just the most beautiful passages within Scripture. Jesus is entitled the High Priestly Prayer. This is Jesus it's before the crucifixion. Some of just like the most encouraging, assuring words as a believer are found in here. Beginning in verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And this is the key here, verse 2. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to what? To give eternal life to all who have, you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The purpose of the authority being given to the son was that he might in turn give eternal life. That's the purpose. That's what this is all about, is that through Jesus Christ, he now, as we saw in Matthew and as we read with the paralytic in Matthew chapter nine, it was, what's easier, to say, rise up and walk, or to say your sins are forgiven, but so that you know the kingdom of God has come, I say to you, rise up and walk. There's more I want to get to, but for the sake of time, I think I just want to speed to this. Let me just say this. I think in some of this here is where the church has stumbled in years past, and maybe even still, that somehow we think that the authority of Jesus is something for us to hold. It's something for us to have. It's something for us perhaps to even walk in that we would have this authority that he had here on earth. Now, there is some truth to that, but I hope you understand what I'm saying in that it isn't a tool for us to wield. Much like some of the theology of the Holy Spirit where we get it wrong and almost like the Holy Spirit is like this toy that we play with at times and some of the extreme charismatics that you would find. The authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is his and his alone. Now, he empowers us by his spirit to be about the work that he has called us to, but it is not, it is not ours to hold. It is not ours to have, and it is not ours to wield. And I think that's an important distinction. The authority is his, and it's his alone. And let me just say this lastly, then, the extent. And I want to get on to what our response is and land there today. What is the extent of his authority? And we've really considered most of this already today as we talked in the very beginning. And we're not going to turn to all of these, but I would just say this, that the extent of Jesus' authority is over all things, first and foremost. And we said that a whole bunch, all things. John chapter 1, verse 3, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. This is... Jesus Christ, supreme, preeminent over all things. The extent of his authority is over all. And as we looked at, it's over the natural world. It's over the demonic and the spiritual realm. It's over the souls of men and women unto salvation. But the Bible also teaches us that Jesus' authority is over history. It's over the affairs of mankind. It's over kings and kingdoms. It's over Satan. His authority includes that as well. It's over sin, it's over death, 
Can you just say this with me? All. That's the extent of the authority of Jesus Christ. All things is all things. Do we believe this? I hope you do. If we do then, I would say this must affect how we live. See, do we live in fear or do we live in the victory because Christ has conquered sin and rules now over sin? Do we live in hopelessness or despair or do we live in a place of joy because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world? Do we live in a place of bondage or do we live as those who have been set free by the ever-powerful, all-conquering lamb that was slain so that we might be redeemed, Jesus Christ, who rules today? Do we live for ourselves or do we live with the world in our sights because we want others to know this victory, this freedom, and this joy? See, this has practical implications, you guys, on how we live. And I hope that I'm doing justice to this this morning because I believe, again, by elevating our view and proper understanding of the authority that Jesus Christ both had and has that is his within his kingdom, it affects the way that we live our lives. So what is our response to this? And I'll give this in the last few minutes and then I want to be able to invite you to respond as well. Turn with me to Colossians. And I want to use the words of Paul. We're giving our fingers an exercise today, yeah? Right after Philippians is Colossians chapter 1. And I love Paul's language here. This is exactly what Paul is praying for, to understand, to, to fully understand, to see and to apply this truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is supreme and is reigning as Lord. Start in verse 9 of chapter 1. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, Paul says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, he, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of God. Of Jesus Christ. See, Paul's aim in Colossians here isn't the authority by which we walk in and we have, but it's a clearer understanding of the exalted state of the Son by the Father, thereby compelling us to live and to speak with such an emphasis that all of what we do points towards the supreme 
Lord and King over all of creation. That is what Paul's point is. It isn't to say, look at how much you've got. It's to, it's to say, look at how great he is. And now live in such a way that reflects that greatness. And so I would say there's three things that we respond to, and they are this. It's prayer. The, our response to this is prayer, praise, and proclamation. Prayer, praise, and proclamation. And Paul talks about this. First is prayer, to seek an understanding of the knowledge of his will. And that's what he says here in verse 9. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That should be our prayer. Our response to the supremacy of the Lord, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to him in his exalted state having been given all authority over all things for all time, is to seek then what is your will, O great God and King. As those whose knees are bowed, whose heart is bent before him, who's those who have been called into his kingdom to live in such a way as his servants, we have a responsibility to bend our knee in humility and to ask, what is it, O Lord, that is your will? And I would just say this, it's not necessarily just a prayer that's defensive where we're petitioning, but as we spoke of in Matthew 7, it's a prayer that's offensive. It's a prayer that seeks to understand and to know the hidden things that the Lord desires to reveal to us. That which has not yet been revealed, but the Lord will, as we engage in faith, seek him. So it isn't just asking for his help, but it's asking for a revelation of his will, that we might walk in such revelation. The second is praise. And it's Colossians 1.12 where he says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the light. Sorry, it's before that. When he says, verse 10, I wrote the wrong one down. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. A response to the authority of Jesus Christ is a response of praise on our part. Praise that's given back to him because of who he is and what he's done, but praise that's exuded from our life as well before the watching world. Praise that reflects these things that are true about what we're saying here this morning of who he is and what he's done. It's a praise. It's a life of praise. It's a life of thankfulness. It's a life of giving back, both horizontally and vertically unto him. It's a praise unto the worthy one, the lamb who was slain, that has ransomed our lives and secured us for his purposes. It's a praise because all authority has been brought into his glorious kingdom of life. It's a praise because he who promised is faithful, is it not? And then lastly, it's proclamation. And he says this, and I lost my place in Colossians, but you've got it before you. Bearing fruit in every good work, which I just read in verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work. So we seek to understand his will. We seek understanding and wisdom and insight. And in so doing, we live a life that exudes the greatness of our king, his power over all of our weaknesses and our sinfulness in our life. And our response is then to walk in such a way that is worthy unto him and is to bear good fruit. And it's to give back for he who gave so much to us. 
Because what it says again, or as a reminder in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth was given to the Son. And his commission is then, now I give it to you in the sense of I commission you, I empower you by my Holy Spirit now to go. And of course we know what that going entails. So it's a proclamation to bear good fruit, to win souls for Christ, to speak of the gospel of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So the authority is his and his alone, but he calls us as those who are to live within his kingdom to live in such a way that we speak of and that we represent this authority that belongs to him, to the king, to the Lord God, exalted Stand with me, would you please? I want to end with this today. I want to pray, and then as I do, I want to ask the worship team would come back up. I want to sing a song just in response to how great our God is today. And to be honest, it's hard right at the moment to pick which one. But why don't you pick the one that you've got planned for? And in your own hearts today, let me just say this again. If you're in a place where you need to respond to an aspect of the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. I implore you today to do so. Whether it's right in your seat, whether you want to come forward just as an act of, of you know, humility before the Lord Jesus Christ in receiving, you're welcome to do so. If you would like prayer for something today, please come and see myself or one of the elders and we would love to pray for you. However you need to respond today, please do so. We all, see, the, the, the war that we have between the flesh and the spirit is a power struggle. It's our flesh that wants to usurp the authority of Jesus Christ. But again, see, what the Lord has done is he has bought it all. He's paid it all. He holds it all. And the response of that is for us to give it all back to him. And so this morning, wherever you are, hopefully the Lord has spoken to you today through this. I just implore you to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if nothing else, let's just sing and worship of how great he is. And we'll end and I'll close us in prayer today.